Welcome to the Direct Response Marketing Magic Podcast. Seth Green is a five-time best-selling author, speaker, and nationally recognized direct response marketing expert who is CEO of one of the fastest-growing direct response marketing firms in the country. To get free access to a download of his new book, Podcast Marketing Magic, and a free live training webinar that will show you how you can use a podcast to attract new customers and referrals like magic, simply register at www.ultimatemarketingmagician.com. On the podcast, Seth brings together some of the most cutting-edge thought leaders in the world to share with you how they grow their businesses and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. Welcome to the Direct Response Podcast. I am your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the great fortune to be joined by Ron Carucci of Navalent. Ra has more than 25 years of experience working with CEOs and senior executives of organizations ranging from Fortune 50s to startups in pursuit of transformational change. His consulting has taken him to more than 20 different countries on four continents. He has consulted to some of the world's most influential CEOs and executives on issues ranging from strategy to organization to leadership. He has helped CEOs, their executive teams, and their enterprises redesign themselves and build appropriate talent strategies to ensure the current and next generation of leaders have the capabilities required by the organization. Ron is a former faculty member at Fordham University Grad School. He is the author or co-author of eight books, including the most recent bestseller, Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives. Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. Seth, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Our pleasure. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Ha, gosh. Um, you know, I began my career uh, in an, uh, an odd adjacent space in the performing arts field um, and quickly learned that I bored easily. So when my friends would go, wow, what a great job. I'm like, I have to do the same thing eight times a week. What? So Eight shows a week. That's right. You got to make it as if it's new every time because to the audience it's and new. And I could do that, and I, but I could hate it. And what I found is that I began to do more media work that involved engaging people in groups. What I realized I loved was the conversation, not just the dispensing of content. Um, I was working in Europe uh, doing um, work at Dachau. And what, what was what was not then called diversity, but looking knowing to, and appreciating differences between um, Germans, soldiers, the military, locals, and doing a, a workshop on that conversation in the chapel at Dachau. And though I was in my early wow. 20s, the profoundness of that was not lost on me. And uh, one young soldier um, be burst into tears and he said, I'm so tired of being trained to hate. Um, and we proceeded to have an amazing conversation about what that meant. Um, and I realized something I had done provoked that, but it, what, what, what really gave me uh, amazing joy was engaging him in his story, not selling him mine. And I think that that veered off into a career into other types of development work in, in, inside companies. And after being jettisoned from three large companies because of a nasty habit of telling the truth, uh, not that <laughs> I realized, you know, I, what gets me fired from companies gets me paid a lot of money outside them. So I think I ought to pay attention to that. And so when I realized my love to try and transform companies from the inside was not going to 
come true, I went and started my own company to do that from the outside. What do you wish you, other than the outside in, what do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Um, that uh, not all leaders really want change, that not all organizations who set out to pursue some aspiration really mean it. Um, and not everybody uh, is motivated to help other people. I think I learned the hard way that um, that not everybody really wants to do things from re reasons beyond their own self-interest. And that my, you know, my naivety and eventually the loss of my idealism uh, felt like it came at a cost. And not that I... I have a more realist sense of idealism now. I understand that sometimes I'm walking into organizations with great people who've just lost their way, or great people who didn't keep up with their own abilities. And sometimes I'm walking into a den of psychopaths. Um, and I now I'm a little bit wiser and can tell the difference a little sooner. And uh, I wish I had known that 30 years ago when um, I, I couldn't quite tell the difference and spent too much time learning them. That's a great answer. You have spent, I mean, you've worked with some of the most household name companies on the planet. How does, when you started your company, how does one go from, I'm going to start a company doing this from the outside in to working with the Fortune 50? How do those relationships come about? How do you get them as clients? Um, you know, partly it's, it's networks, partly it's clients that have been past clients rising up in organizations. Partly it's um, the big company, big firm backlash. There's you know, lots of the big giant consulting firms out there are leaving a wake of disaster behind them of very massive invoices with little value to show for it. And so little boutiques like us can come in and for tremendously uh, – in, in far faster time and for tremendous value can do something with the work that was – we call it the McKinsey aftermarket. There's a tremendous amount to be made by the very big binders they leave behind that can't be implemented. Hmm. You know what that that that's an that's an entire not for you but for us that's an entire new product line because it's funny in the information industry you know 80% of books are never read you know 90% of the big binders of products are never opened and if there was I mean that's the gap that we're helping people bridge right now is the whole implementation and execution so I never would have assumed I never would have guessed in a million years that that exists at the fortune 50 and the fortune 500 but they're people too they've got life getting in the way too they've got to get out the reorg boots every couple months anyway right. so that's brilliant that makes total success that makes total and sense and you know Steph it's actually worse there in bigger larger complex organizations you have less cohesion you have lots of fragment you have a lot of cohesion but not a lot of cohesion and people pretending to be united, but really off doing their own things. Well, the more fragmentation you have, the more agendas you have, the more competing agendas you have, the more people are going to you know, try and one up their rivals and do more work. So then you have more consultants in there offering more answers that can't be digested, offering solutions that are brilliant but unimplementable and, and working at cross purposes with, it, with a, larger, a larger enterprise agenda. And so the, the carnage is just endless. Wow. What I mean, you've had such an impact in so many biz, so many enterprise companies. Uh, what do you attribute your success to? Um, you know, I think it's that we care. It's that we absolutely care um, for our clients. I think the one thing our clients would tell us is that um, we 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 deeply and passionately care about the success of our clients. That we don't just go in there take a fee. 
um, and leave that we won't leave until we see transformation, till we see change. Um, and we do. We, we're, we're so fascinated by the stories our clients allow us to enter. And we're deeply, um, you know, when we see a CEO or an executive who's embarked on some audacious journey to do something great in their market or for their customers or for their organizations, we can't not go with them. And we can't wait to, to push them to places they didn't know they could go and to push them to beyond the aspirations they set out to achieve. Um, that's, that's why we get up in the morning. And for us, you know, uh, what's not to like, right? You get up, you get to leave the world better, better than you found it every day. How do you, I, I know every corporation, every job you do is different, but how do you measure a successful outcome? Just a couple examples. So when a company that calls us, um, begins the journey in, in quite a bit of chaos, they begin, um, with the directionless, their rudderless, People are leaving. People are exhausted. And when we leave, they're cohesive. They have they have a direction. They're aimed well. Um, and their people are doing the work they want to do and love to do. And they're doing it in a way that achieves the organization's aspirations. Mm. What, with all the success you've achieved, what is your biggest challenge now? Yeah, I think I think it goes back to your first question, Seth, about what what did I do? I wish I knew now. I think it's client selection. It's, you know, we're a boutique firm and we're not for everybody. Um, and there are better matches of people in the marketplace for us than others. And sometimes we're not good at picking. Um, and I think do, doing demand creation that, 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 you know, like any good business, you have to, you have to create demand. You have to tell the, the world you're here. And there's, of course, eight and a half million little boutique firms doing what, the same thing we say we do and using the same language to describe it. So how we distinguish ourselves from them with real evidence and real language and real stories becomes a challenge. But how you do it so that the right clients find you, so that the people you ought to be working with, the people you know you can have the greatest impact on, that's who finds you. I think that's still – we're still building that muscle. Who is your ideal client? Um, not a psychopath. <laughs> You know, I, Unfortunately, there's not a good screen for that online. <laughs> um, you know, Seth, I think it's leaders who really care about their organizations, who care about the customers they serve, who've gotten themselves in a little bit of, um, you know, sideways. Like we often go into companies and let's imagine it's a, it's a classic mid-cap company of $500 million. And often we'll find that $500 million company trapped in the body of a $20 million company. And, you know, Costco called, they scaled up, they, you know, they're, they're producing great things, but the organization was never built to do what it's doing. And now you can hear the seams ripping, you can hear people exhausted, you can see that this is a great business, it serves a great good, uh, it, it, it delights its consumers in unique ways, but it's going to fall apart if it doesn't become, you know, build the body of commensurate with its size. Um, so that leader who really wants to get after that, and understands that they they played a part in getting to the ripped seams, um, and wants to fix it. That's a great client for us. And you've written eight or written or co-authored eight books. Talk a little bit about about those because that is obviously an incredible effort and an incredible achievement. What was how, how did the first book get started? And then talk about the journey from number one to number eight, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, I, um, one of the things my publishers don't like about me is when I when I publicly say that I'm a writer, not an author. Um, and what I mean by that is that my my writing is a learning journey. When I see that my 
clients or the people that I'm trying to serve have found their way, their way into intractable problems, into enigmas they can't resolve, into systemic issues that are being encroached upon them from outside the organization. Um, I, I get an itch I can't scratch. And so for me, I want to go off and learn about what how that happened or why does that keep happening or why can't they solve that? And so my research and the data that I go and collect and the patterns I look to find in my writing are really me going to learn on behalf of the people I serve so I can go back to them and say, hey, I think we figured something out here. Um, so I began my career writing about my peer group. My, you know, the, the, At the time when consulting was the evil empire, when books like Witch Doctors and Consulting is Insulting and um, oh God, it is spate, spate of books – bashing the industry and they were well deserved um I, when we couldn't get enough of beating us up i thought okay but wait a minute there's still something good about us what is it we're doing that's useful my research was five years of looking at what is it between the relationships between clients and consultants that actually works um and that set off a series of projects on understanding how to optimize that relationship so everybody does their part and then that morphed into a look at the leaders who actually take advice and the leaders who are trying to lead the organizations and the relationships they have with their people. Uh, and so I meandered my way through those kinds of relationships. I think that all eight books have a pattern of either the relationships between leaders and those they follow that follow them or the relationships among parts of the organization, but looking at the connectivity of people and the, the work they do and the people they serve. The last project rising to power was 10 years of research um, looking at the spate of failures in the senior ranks of organizations, we've known for 20 years that uh, about 50 to 60 percent of all executives fail within the first 18 months of their appointment. And I think we've wow. just accepted that as normal for 20 years. The staff hasn't changed. The recruiters love it because it's an annuity for them. Um, <laughs> but, but for us, when it, be, when it started to be our clients, when it started to be the CEO calling and saying, hey, we put this guy in this job. You said you could help. What's going on? Um, we began to realize, wow, it's really true. It is about half. And it is about 18 months, and they hit that wall. And these were people we all said had promised. They were had high potential. We said they could be great. And now suddenly they're a disaster. Why does this keep happening? So we went back and unpacked 10 years of research. We went. We had 2,800 interviews. We isolated 100 leaders mid-ascent to sort of watch them in slow motion to see if we could isolate what are the landmines that they keep tripping in uh, to uncover what it is that is going on there. And it well, one of the big shocks was it's a wonder they all don't fail within 18 months, given the wow. number of landmines organizations set out. It's not these; these are not accidents. These are inadvertent landmines that organizations put in the way of these executives. And if you get over them, you're lucky. Um, and so, just understanding the journey of ascent was powerful. But then isolating the 50% that actually stick, right? So we thought, well, they're doing something right. What is it they're doing that's making them stay there and thrive and make impact and be able to perform at higher altitudes where there's less oxygen. Um, and we, so we isolated the pa those patterns that allow those amazing exemplars to do great work. And so the book is about that journey up and, and how to stick that landing. That's almost the Napoleon Hill and thinking you're rich and good to great Jim Collins models, but applied to the executive as opposed to the company. That's That's incredible. Yeah, it was, it's really about, you know, the, we we can't keep throwing throwing lives out. We can't. I mean, these the carnage in that journey. I mean, fifty percent of executives means that their families, the missed opportunities. Sure, and then there's how many times do you have to move and pick your kids up, and it's almost like you're in the army if you're getting transferred every eighteen. And months. it's horrible. 
And the waste of opportunity, the damage to organizations, the damage to families, the damage to great strategies, the damage to cost. It's just an endless pile of carnage. And we thought we, we can do better. We really can do this. Right now, we're barely even throwing darts at a, a dartboard blindfolded. We can do better. Is there anything that drives you crazy about your business? <laughs> um, sure. We, you know, you, you, we love our clients and we love to hate them. Um, I don't, and I don't really hate my clients, but I think when I am in sitting in front of a leader um, who is d- determined to go off a cliff, um, and you, it's a pattern you've seen, you know, seven dozen times. It's not like I'm some soothsayer. It's not like I'm brilliant. I'm just saying, okay, I've seen this movie before. I know how the movie ends. I don't know why you think you'll be an exception. Please think about this for a minute. And they'll nod their head and they'll say, yeah, that's a good point. But you can just see everything about them is determined because they're fearful, because they're anxious, because they don't want to disappoint people, because for the variety of reasons, their own pathologies are conspiring against them. And they're headed off this cliff you just know is a disaster. And you understand that what you're asking them to do as an alternative is hard. Um, And because had they called you a year ago, it wouldn't be as sharp an intervention. But here we are. Um, and the cliff is now not a mile away, but it's, you know, 100 feet away. Um, still, you don't have to go over. <laughs> I mean, yes, what I'm asking you to consider is difficult and hard and disruptive. But I'm asking you to consider what happens if you're, if you're wrong. And at the bottom of that, crev- that, that cavern, we have to go clean that mess up. Is that really a better alternative than just pausing and considering you don't have to do this? And those are deeply there's a because it's personal right seth i mean it's not like i'm just dispensing advice and he's paying for it at that point uh, i'm deeply invested in what not watching her or him preside over their own demise and so that's maddening it's it is maddening wow so you mentioned there's a million boutique firms doing something similar to what you're doing using similar language However, I got to imagine that none of them have written eight books. Does that make you a thought? I would hope that that makes you the thought leader in your industry. I, 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 you know, so one of the, I I went and hired a coach last year. So taking my own medicine, I decided to get some help with, am I a thought leader? Do I have, do what, does what I have to say mean something to somebody? I've spent, you know, 30 years talking to my clients, not talking about them. And I'm now learning to talk about them. Uh, My books were for them. And my coach, the first thing she said to me was, you spend all your life talking to people who already know you. How, you know, she said, if your goal was to, if your branding goal was to be the best kept secret in your industry, you did a great job. <laughs> She's brilliant. Um, and so I'm just only in the last year learning to face out and talk, you know, so now I'm writing for Harvard Business Review and I'm writing for Forbes and I'm doing other things. Um, and it's been really gratifying, Seth, to sort of learn how to engage people with, insights, not just about their organization, but about organizations and leadership in general. Um, so, I, so I would tell you I'm trying to, to distinguish those thoughts and share the benefit of all of our firm's experience. Um, but I, but the, what, what gets me crazy is when I, when I see that there is a proliferation of cheesy form, you know, the, the eight secrets of leadership or the eight steps to being great and the stuff that you just want to vomit over because you think you, all you can do is hurt people. And while we all want to believe it's that easy, we all want to believe it's like making a souffle, you know, if you do it carefully, it won't fall in. Um, it's not. Life leadership is anything but that. It's a mess. Um, if you are going to lead, you're going to suffer. 
and no one tells you that part. And if you're going to try and grow and scale and shape the future of a community of people in human endeavor, it's going to hurt. Um, and it has to. You know, I tell my clients, leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. Um, that's, a good, that's a writer downer. That's a good quote. <laughs> and and so, um, I, you know, I, I get crazed by the body of folks proliferating the simple, cheap, quick, easy formulas out there. But I think there are also good, good leader, thought leaders out there trying to convey the truth about what does it mean to lead in an organization. When, now, do you find your clients and approach them or do they find you? I think it's both. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of times it's a referral from a client who is in a network of executives and somebody's asking, hey, have you used anybody for this before? And they'll say, oh, yeah, call, call Navalent. Or it's somebody who's read a piece of ours online or read one of our books. Um, or it's somebody we'll, you know, we'll speak at a conference and somebody will come up and ask a question afterwards. And I'll say, well, tell me a little bit more about your story. Right. And that will get us down a path of, hmm, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And they're like, no, I, I haven't. And so that will get us into a chat. So let's say I raise my hand and I say I'm interested and I say, hey, I want to learn more. Um, just from a marketing perspective, what do you send me? Oh, gosh. But that's the part we suck at, Seth. Oh, because I'm just thinking – I'm looking – I've gone through your site. Obviously, I have several of your books. You know that. And I'm sitting here going, you've got all the materials of what we call an incredible shock and awe package that would just blow their socks off and get them to want to hire you right away. Well, that's awesome of you to say that. Um, I, I, my guess is that if I actually sent you that package, you'd roll your eyes and wince and go, what was he thinking sending me this? Um, but All I, right, so send it to me so I can make a video of me rolling my eyes, and then I'll tell you how to fix it. <laughs> um, I, you know, right now, I, I, I know I that mean, you've got such a thud factor that could land on their doorstep of everything you've done. Well, gosh, um, I, I hope that's the case. I don't think we're good at that yet. I think we're just, it's, it's a new, like I said, it's a new muscle for us. Um, and I think we're maybe a little bit often too apologetic for some of the content. Uh, oh no, you got to own your greatness, man. You've got amazing content. And I, and so what we're trying to do is figure out what's the best way to convey it to people. What's the best. Yeah. Cause normally when we talk to clients, it's a struggle pulling the content out of them, but you're a prolific developer. I mean, you make that, you would make that so easy. And, and yet, <laughs> and yet, I mean, really hard, very expensive. You, you'd be really amazed at how inept we are at doing the right things with it. Um, but we, we actually just hired a firm. Um, so take, you know, we hired a, a folks who are experts at that to come in and, and give a look under the hood and help us with that. But I think I, I might send you some links. I might send you some case studies. I might send you some documents from other clients that, that would show here's how we help solve this for them. So I would, I know I would never send you a generic set of stuff. I would certainly tailor. Oh, oh it should be customized. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, a set of materials that I, I would think would at least ultimately what I want to do is get to a conversation, right? Cause ultimately what you're going to, you're buying is me. You're buying right, our right. consultants. You're not buying stuff. You know, there's no, you know, $1.5 million transformation to add to cart button on our website. If only they punched in their credit card for that. <laughs> uh, one Black. day I wish. And so what I really want you to understand is that, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm an honest broker of the truth and I can, I've seen the, the movie before. I can help you solve the problem. But at the end of the day, you're trusting me, the keys to the kingdom to me, not, not just my ideas. And so I don't, I, we, we are, are judicious around, you know, you, you have to use content to get to the conversation, but if you lead with content, you obscure the magic, which is the relationship. Right, right. And that's a it's an art form that we're still we are still learning. Uh, and in fact, we're still in the early stages of learning. <laughs> You've written eight books. 
what are the three of the best books you've ever read that have had the most impact on your work and you can't quote yourself? Um, and I, and I, nor would I. Um, so, uh, I loved Adam Grant's Give and Take. Um, just a really uh, extraordinary look at um, the world. Um, you know, uh, you, may, you mentioned Jim Collins before. I actually, his, I think his greatest book was Built to Last. The first one, just because of the profound distinctions it 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 it, it made between the, the you know the good and the not so good versus the good and the idiots. Mm. Um, uh, the, one of my my sort of my heroes is Cat uh, man for Cat and you know sort of a and so his book on um, organizations on the couch was a real. Uh, sh- shaper for me in my career in terms of thinking about you know the the psychological impacts and the implications of what happens in organizations, and that you cannot go in there and not know how to address the neuroticism and the pathologies you're you're facing and slap a bunch of techniques on them because you're going to hurt people. And so Manfred's work and his body of work and his life in thinking about the true depths uh, of the human soul and the human mind and how they come come together in organizations, hopefully for some greater good. Um, has been a, a huge shaper of my uh, my career. Awesome recommendations. You have been on the forefront uh, of this field for so long. How do you stay on top of it? How do you stay on the cutting edge? You know, I, I, I think um, I'm just naturally fascinated. Um, I mean, we never – no matter how many patterns you've seen in organizations, and that's really – it's a pattern library we're bringing as a lens to look at. But every day is new. There's never a day that's the same twice. There's never a question a leader asks. Even if you've heard the question before, they're asking it in a new context, uh, in a new um, setting, in a new group of people. And so you have to stay fresh. You, you know, you have to stay on the edge because we're not. There's nothing commoditized about how we do our work. And so whenever um, you know, so the same thing that got me bored in my first career. Um, I never do the same show twice every day, right? It's it's a different movie. It's a different set. It's a different cast of characters every day. And I'm just – I'm always fascinated by wondering who's going who's gonna to show up today uh, into the story and what, you know, are they a leading character or are they a, a walk-on or are they, are they an antagonist or a protagonist? And so uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating set of work. And I think more than anything else that I know that – I, it's my responsibility to figure out how to make an impact uh, in their organization's life, and that's a great that's a great that that pressure is a privilege. Awesome, awesome interview. I've got pages of notes. I'm sure our listeners do too. This has been Seth Green with Ron Carucci of Navalent.com, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. Make sure you go there, register for their quarterly physical. Um, magazine slash newsletter that they send you filled with thought leadership and amazing articles by every single one of this man's books. Do whatever he tells you. Um, Ron, thank you so much for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. Seth, it was a great pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.